Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're having a great week. Today, I want to talk about something that's a little bit broad, but I think we all can relate to this on on some level. Do you blame yourself for your child's anxiety or OCD or and or? I think as parents, we intuitively tend to blame ourselves for a lot of our kids' behaviors, failures, struggles. And really, if you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous because we can't take ownership of every single thing that our children struggle with. It's not always our fault. There is a lot of physiological issues going on. There's a lot of environmental stressors that have nothing to do with us. And there are a lot of other things that come into play besides our parenting. But I think we're very hard on ourselves. And then if you add to that anxiety or OCD, then you have a whole other playbook to go on as far as why you're to blame for that as well, which is really sad and really unfortunate because you're going to need all of your energy and all of your confidence to help your child through and to navigate through their anxiety and OCD. And unfortunately, what happens when we beat ourselves up is we become really ineffective. So I know if I had titled this podcast, let me go back to my title. Do you blame yourself for your child's anxiety and OCD? Why that's not good for you? People probably wouldn't really even care because a lot of us parentally are so selfless that self-care, which we'll get into at the end of this podcast, is really not a priority. And so how it affects you would just be kind of like, eh, whatever, this isn't about me. My kid's really struggling. So this isn't really something I need to listen to. But when I say, no, this is really not good for your child, then we're all on board because we're kind of like, oh, great, I'm doing something else that's bad for my child. My blaming myself is bad for my child, which is kind of like another blame on me, (laughs) which is kind of negative. But it's the only way I can get you to listen to this podcast because I need to talk to you about stopping the blame game. So what better way than to blame you for blaming yourself? It's kind of stupid, but anyway. So I want to first go over the different things I hear often in my practice and what parents tell me time and time again. So I hear things like, you know, is he anxious because I shelter him? Or is he anxious because I baby him? Is he nervous all the time because I coddled him? And unfortunately, in those instances, it doesn't help because often we'll have a partner or a relative or a friend who will confirm that or who will blame us. And so they add to the blame game because they'll say, you know, it's because you coddle him so much. Now he can't even function. He's so anxious. And if that's what's going on in your house, definitely listen to episode 40, which is only a couple of episodes before this on partners who don't understand anxiety because it's ridiculous. It does not help and it's not accurate. And we'll go into that. And when I talk to uh, parents who have anxiety or have OCD, they'll say things like, I think that she got this from me because she watches me wash or she watches me check. And so I think that 
she's gotten OCD because of me. And yes and no. Yes, genetically, she probably got it from the genetic predisposition to get OCD. But kids don't get OCD from watching their parents do compulsions. Now, let's say they had a predisposition to OCD and they watched you be paranoid about germs or contamination or something, then that might be their OCD theme. They might pick that up, but they couldn't have picked that up if they weren't predisposed to have anxiety or OCD anyway. So a lot of times parents will come into my practice and they'll be concerned that they gave this to their child and they're not talking genetically. They're talking that they gave this to their child by modeling it. And I've worked with lots of extremely anxious parents and parents who have a lot of OCD issues and their children don't have OCD and they don't have anxiety. So that genetic component is very, very big. And also, even if your child did get this from you genetically, because sometimes a lot of parents will make self-hating comments about that. You know, what? look what I did to my kid. Look what I've given my kid. You know, I've given them this horrible disorder and that's my fault because those are my genes and those are my struggles. Well, you know, we give our kids a lot of things and you probably gave them a lot of wonderful things, your beautiful eyes or something great about your personality. That is also part of your child. And I really feel like anxious kids are some of the most amazing kids because genetically, not only are they getting the anxiety, but they're getting some of what I call superpowers as well. And I've written articles about the superpowers that anxious kids have. And I will link it in the bottom of the show notes if you're listening to this on iTunes, because I think it is really good for kids to realize the beautiful things that they have about themselves. And so when they hear you, and maybe you don't say this out loud, but when they hear you saying, you know, I'm so sorry, I gave you this horrible thing that I struggle with, then they're not going to recognize the beautiful part of anxiety. And if you're in the throes of anxiety, you're kind of like, what beautiful part is she talking about? But there are amazing empathetic skills and intelligence and kind, compassionate abilities that kids who aren't anxious don't always have. So I think it's not healthy in general to blame ourselves for our children's anxiety and OCD. Now I say that, (laughs) but I have had the same issue in my own world. You know, I have three anxious kids and I have one kid that has OCD as well. And it's rampant in my family. Uh, Anxiety and OCD is rampant in my family and it's on both sides. So my kids were like completely doomed to have that. And even though I know that intellectually, Sometimes I will even blame myself and I'll say, you know what? I don't even think my kids are anxious. I think I'm making them anxious because I write and teach all about anxiety and OCD. And so I'm seeing this in my kids and it's not even there. So it's just so funny, like what we'll do as parents to shift the blame back to us, to make ourselves feel guilty, to make ourselves feel bad. And so I literally have to sometimes go to up to my husband and I do this periodically and I'll say to him, do you see that too? Like, does that look normal to you? Cause I see anxiety and OCD everywhere. And so I just want to make sure that I'm not making something that isn't there. Thank goodness for him because he is stable and he's a rock and he's very um, pragmatic and, and he'll, he'll tell me yes or no. 
And almost always he'll say, no, no, that's not normal. (laughs) He'll say like, you know, that is definitely anxiety or no, that is definitely OCD. You're not seeing anything that's not already there. And then I'm like, okay, good. Cause I'm going to send you my bill and you can pay me a check or cash. You can transfer over some money from the bank. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do say you are so lucky that you have an in-house therapist to deal with your kids, but you have to have a sense of humor. You have to be able to joke. So I bring that up because I constantly get concerned that maybe I hyper-focused on anxiety and OCD and created it in my kids. Obviously that's completely ridiculous and irrational. And there are plenty of kids that I see and I don't see any anxiety and I don't see OCD. And in fact, my youngest one's doing really good right now and I don't see any anxiety or OCD in her currently. So um, it's just a paranoia. And I think that's what we do. We say, you know, was it the move that happened or when we got into that really big fight, did that cause the anxiety? And it's interesting because more often than not, when I'm interviewing, well, I don't, it's really not an interview, but I always meet with parents before I meet with their kids. So it's kind of like a get to know you session before I start. And whenever I'm having those sessions, parents often tell me, you know, they try to pinpoint exactly when the OCD happened or when the anxiety happened. And a lot of times they'll relate it back to themselves. You know, we got into a really big fight and I left for a few days. And when I came back, he had full-blown anxiety. Or, um, you know, I forgot to come get him right away. And ever since then, he's had separation anxiety. And even though, yes, environmentally, these things definitely impact our children. And, you know, trauma is a totally separate topic. And I'm not talking about that here. But some of our kids genetically have a predisposition for anxiety. And there's nothing that we could do to make that not happen. Sometimes it's just like a seed that's ready to germate. And sometimes that is due to hormones and then that seed germates. Sometimes it's just a predetermined time that we don't know about. And one day they wake up and they are very anxious. I can typically tell an anxious child from a very early age. And so some parents just don't have the radar for anxiety and OCD. But when I'm taking a history and I ask the right questions, there were signs all along. It just wasn't a front burner issue and it wasn't really obvious. So all this blaming completely doesn't help. And obviously it doesn't help you because living in guilt and feeling pretty crappy about yourself is not a good thing in general, but it really doesn't help your kids either. So I want to go into why this doesn't help your children and what to do instead. For starters, when we feel guilty, and I see this a lot, not only with parents who feel guilty because they feel like somehow they had a role in creating their child's anxiety or OCD, but even when one parent is lenient and the other parent is really authoritative and they're uncomfortable with that parent's parenting style, they will feel guilty. So this, I am talking today about anxiety and OCD, but sometimes this also comes into play when you feel bad about how your child is going through life. But when we feel guilty when we're parenting, we become more lenient. And we become more lenient because we take responsibility for some of the pain that they're going through. So we parent in a very lenient way, which becomes less boundaries, less limits. 
more caving in. Fine, you can have it. Um, let's not tell her that she can't go there because, you know, she's been having such a rough day or, you know, she doesn't want to sleep in her bed. You know, let's just forget it tonight because she's just, you know, having such a rough life. We stop implementing boundaries and limits. And unfortunately for our anxious children and our children with OCD, the more structure in a loving nice, kind way, not in like a boot campish, dictatorish sort of way. They need that. They need that predictability. They need the predictability of boundaries. You know, the wall is here. Uh, the limits are here. The structure is here. And so when we feel bad for them and we parent from a, a sympathetic place that doesn't set limits or boundaries, then our anxious children and our children with OCD tend to do worse. And that's not good. So there is this nice balance of setting boundaries and limits in a firm but loving way. And that helps our children. Ironically, I think a lot of parents think that to be more lenient is a better way to be when you have a child with anxiety or OCD. But really, you want to have those nice, predictable boundaries. The second thing that I see that happens is that we focus on the wrong problem. So when we think the problem is us, and inevitably, many parents do. And I hope you're not one of them. I'm not, typically, except for the fact that I think that I'm like a, a mental health hypochondriac. <laughs> so I'm like, am I seeing this? Or is this like me just making this up in my head? But when we focus on us as the problem, then the, the fixation is, what do we need to do to change? Instead, how do we empower our kids to make the changes that they need? And so I'll often get questions in my practice where people will say things like, Natasha, what should we do? What should we do differently? I hear that a lot. When people ask me questions, the questions are about them and not about their children. And I mean, sometimes it is. I'm just focusing on when it's not. It'll be stuff like, you know, what can I do to make her anxiety better? And the, the real question should be, how can I empower her to fight her anxiety? Or how can I empower her to fight her OCD? Because ultimately, and I say this all the time, but ultimately your child's struggles are their own and you are in the passenger seat. I say this a lot in all of my online classes, um, in both my anxiety online class and in my OCD online class, I reiterate very, very frequently, you are a passenger. You are not driving the car to fight anxiety or OCD. You can give your child the tools, you can be a cheerleader, you can be a coach, but ultimately this is not your fight and it can't be. So when you think you are the problem and when you feel guilty because you did something to cause this, then you think that you have to fix the problem. And so the ownership falls on you and that isn't just how it's going to work. Because if you want your child to succeed long-term, if you want them to develop lifelong coping mechanisms, then you doing things differently isn't going to matter. So if you have a child with OCD and you just say, you know what, it's my fault because I cater to him. And so I'm going to just get rid of all the soap in the house, or I'm just going to, you know, lock him in his bedroom so he doesn't keep going to the bathroom and over wiping or doing whatever compulsion your child feels like they have to do. But what you're doing is you're putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole because they're not being self-motivated. 
you're doing something different and you're changing their behavior, but they're not making genuine, authentic change. And so you want to engage your child and motivate them. And I know that is super tricky. I think I have tons of podcasts and YouTube videos on that. How do you motivate them? And a lot of it starts with education, teaching them, depending on their age, what this is. And do they want to live a life of anxiety and compulsions, depending on what their issue is, or do they want to fight it now? And so when I first have a child come into my practice, one of the first things I do is one, completely educate them on what OCD and anxiety is, whichever one is their issue or both. And then I talk about what will happen if they don't fight it. You know, how is the anxiety or how is the OCD impacting your life right now? Is that working for you? And if it's not, what will it look like if you don't fight it? What will it look like when you're 20 or 25? So the ownership falls onto your child and not in a burden sort of way, because I know we all want to rescue our kids and we want to like protect them from the burden. But this is one thing that you can't protect them from. You have to light the fire and watch them go. And that's really the only parental responsibility or parental component that you can give and offer your child is access to the tools to help themselves. So the third thing that I see is that when we try and fix the problem, we jump in and we tell them the things that they need to do. So they say, mom, I'm having a really hard time sleeping. And then we say, you're safe. We're right here with you. I mean, that's like a normal parenting thing to say, right? But we're fixing it for them. Or we'll say, you know, you're fine. We're right here. I can hear you. You can call me if you're having a problem. Or we think of a way out of the problem for them. So instead, you want to help your child problem solve for themselves. So with my kids, I'm super annoying because if my child comes out of the bedroom and she says, I can't sleep, I'll say, what do you need to tell yourself? And because we've done this a lot, she has like her rote response and she'll say, we are all safe in this house. And I don't say you're safe because I'm here because I don't want her to be dependent on me. I want her to feel safe in the house because she is safe in the house. And I want them to come up with their own ideas of why they're safe. So if my son says, I'm worried there's someone's going to crawl up in my window and it's the second floor, I'll say, tell me why that doesn't make sense. You know, let's go outside. Let's look at the building. Well, it's not really a building. It's a house. Let's look at the house. Okay. That's your bedroom window up there. We're down here. How would that happen? And you have them problem solve it. So if we are always trying to fix the problem, if we're always rescuing our kids, then they're never learning how to develop their own problem solving. Now, there's a fine line. And so sometimes we have to go in and we have to rescue them. Sometimes they're in over their head. Sometimes they need our help. But how often do we jump in before they really, really need our help? Or how often do we give them the full answer instead of half the answer in life's problems because we don't want to see them suffer? So that's that becomes a problem because it's we're operating on guilt. And so we want to quickly fix it because we don't want to see our kids in pain. So I'll give you some examples of how this works just in the real world. So in my office, when kids are doing OCD exposures, often we'll set one up and they'll be ready to face their fears. And then they'll say to me, you know, Natasha, do I have to do this? And my answer a hundred percent of the time is no. And they always look at me surprised because they're expecting that I'm going to be like, yes, you have to do this. 
This is the exercise. Now you're going to do that. And I'll say no. And I'll, and then I'll give them my little speech. This is your life. This is your battle. I'm just a passenger. If you want to work on your OCD, you can, I would like for you to work on it because I don't like to see you suffer, but ultimately I'm going to go home, you know, eat some ice cream and go to bed but you're going to go home and go back into the bathroom and do like five gazillion compulsions. That makes me really sad for you, but this is your fight. This is your life. So you never have to do any of these challenges. If you don't, you're not going to fight your OCD and or anxiety, whatever you're talking about with the person, but it's up to you. So you really want to put that ownership on your child. Recently, my, my teenager, she texts me and she was like, Oh my gosh, mom, I forgot my permission slip and I need it by tomorrow. And so I could easily have been like, I'll be right over. I have it right here. And actually I could have, because I wasn't really doing anything. (laughs) I was at home, but instead I text her back and I said, what are you going to do about it? Like give her pause, give her pause to think about it instead of instantly coming up with a fix and responding in a way that would just, you know, solve the problem. And then she said, well, I don't know. Uh, Can you bring it? And I said, have you talked to the teacher yet? And eventually she came back and she texted me back and she said, I did talk to the teacher and I can bring it back tomorrow. So, you know, just giving some pause, some space to have them figure out their own issues. I have a child who struggles with perfectionism and homework is rough. So sometimes he'll be doing his homework and he'll really lose his cool. And I will say, then don't do it. And he'll look at me like, cause he'll be screaming. I don't want to do it. This is so stupid. I don't want to do it. And then I'll say, then don't do it because none of us want to hear you screaming. And he'll look at me like, I don't have to do it. And I'll say, I didn't assign it to you. Your teacher assigned it to you. If this is too much for you, then don't do it. I will email her and I'll let her know. Hey, He was having a really rough time and he wasn't able to do his homework. Now I know my kid and my kid will be mortified if I ever did that. So then instead of not feeling the push from me, he comes up with his own solutions. And so I say, if you're not okay, then just don't do it at all. Let me know. I'll email your teacher. It's not my deal or take a break. If you need to take 10 minutes and go, you know, relax, go play and come back or do it tonight or do it in the morning. And he's only eight, but, but my child is, can be mature. And so this won't work for every kid. So take it with a grain of salt, but with my child, he will problem solve then. And he'll be like, okay, well, no, don't email my teacher. I think I'll do it in the morning. And I'll be like, fine, do whatever you want. Cause I want them to take ownership of not only their schoolwork and all their responsibilities, which is just general parenting, but I want them to take responsibility for their anxiety. So if they're having a really rough time, they need to come up with a solution. Recently, I have had to give my son, he's going to have to take medication for a while. And we'll get into that in some other podcast. So the medication tasted really gross. And he was having a major panic about taking it because he does have some OCD related issues around taste. And he was freaking out to not want to take it. We we're having a big scene. I completely lost my cool and was not mother of the year. And it was really bad. And then finally he's like, I can't take it. And so I was like, you know what? Then don't take it. This is supposed to make you feel better. 
for your anxiety and your OCD, but if you don't want to take it, that's fine. And then he said, well, what's going to happen? You know, and I'm like, well, you know, it's up to you, but you're not eating and you're anxious. And if you continue to lose weight, you know, and I kind of scare him, we'll have to go to the doctor and I don't know what they're going to do to get food into your stomach. But what do you want to do about this? Because I'm not going to force you to take something. I'm not going to battle you like this. And then he sat and he thought about it for a while. And he said, you know, the other medicine that I took, I could take that. That didn't bother me. I could take that. And so I was like, well, I'll call the doctors and I'll see if it's possible that you can take the other medicine instead. But he was driving this conversation. He was problem solving this conversation. And so it wasn't me trying to fight him. He came up with his own solution. I called the doctor. The doctor said, that's fine. He's just going to have to take that medicine a lot more than if he had taken the other one, which was fine. I said, trust me, I don't even care if I have to give this five gazillion times a day. It's better than giving him this other medicine three times a week and having that much of a fight. So it was resolved. But my whole point in this is I put it on him. Now, I know you can't always do that with little kids and depending on your own child, but my point in general is we want to try to step back and let our children drive their treatment, drive their health and drive their fight. This is their fight and we are just there to help them. Now, I know that not every kid is motivated to work on their anxiety or OCD and is not motivated to problem solve, but it's kind of like those Chinese handcuffs. You know what I'm talking about? The more you pull, the tighter they get. And I find that the more you pull a child and say, you will do this, and I'm gung-ho about this, and so you're going to do all these exposure exercises, or you're going to do all these challenges, or you're going to face your fears, the more your energy is driving it and not theirs, then the more they fight. And the tighter those handcuffs get and the worse the problem gets. Whereas if you can be kind of Socratic and just be like, you know what? This is your life. You're going to live your life and you're going to move out and you're still going to have your anxiety or you're still going to have your OCD and your compulsions. And I love you, but I'm going to like just get old, go to a retirement community and live out my life. But you've got 80 years ahead of you, hopefully, right? And what is that? What's the quality of life for you? It's your life, not my life. So how, how do you want to make it better? And you don't have to, you know, you can definitely stay at home and live with me for the rest of your life, but that's kind of a sad life. I want you to have more of a life than that. So it's starting with motivation. Okay. Up next, I have quite a few more things I want to talk about in how this is going to impact your kids when you beat yourself up for their anxiety and OCD. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Welcome back. So I want to talk about Another thing that happens when we blame ourselves. So when we take on total ownership of our child's struggles and mental health issues, they are not motivated to work on their own issues because they hear what we're saying and they blame us as well because kids will take our lead. So I once worked with this boy 
whose uncle blamed the parents for the child's anxiety. And the family is very close, so the child saw the uncle all the time. And the uncle would always say, you know, your mom and dad, they are so overprotective and they, you know, they give you everything you want whenever you want it. And they have really created your anxiety because they never make you face things. They never make you do anything. And so the child, instead of being insulted by that, would also blame the parents and would say, you know, uncle so-and-so always says that this is your fault. And the parents who were very self-blaming would say, I know, I know we are, we're too nice. We give you everything and we don't make you, you know, face your fears and it's our fault. And so when I met the whole family, the child, the parents, the uncle, the grandparents, everybody was like, it's the parents. And yeah, the parents completely did not help, but the child did a lot of things that the child could have controlled. And it really needed to start with the child. So I worked on the parental issues, but the biggest issue was this child did not have to take any ownership for his own issues. And he never had to work on his anxious thoughts. He never had to work on leaning into his anxiety. He never had to work on any of that because he would say, it's not my fault. It's their fault. You need to be meeting with them, not with me. I met with both of them because it was two pieces of the puzzle. So when you blame yourself, you're not really allowing your child to analyze themselves and say, what kind of thoughts do I have? You know, how often am I negative and how often am I telling myself something horrible is going to happen? You know, how often do I pay attention to what I call in my online classes, red thoughts? How often am I giving myself red thoughts instead of green thoughts? You want your child to ask those things of themselves. Another thing that happens is that when you are stressed and exhausted because you're blaming yourself all the time, it impacts the whole family. So I've seen this so much in my practice. When a child is doing poorly, the parent is just as devastated. And I understand, I totally get this on a personal level. When your kid starts to decompensate and they were doing well, and then all of a sudden they're not doing well again, it's so depressing. And it's enough to just completely drag you down to the bottom of that pool to drown. But you have to realize that OCD and anxiety is cyclical and things will trigger anxiety and OCD. New life events will trigger it and hormones will trigger it. And sometimes you won't ever be able to pinpoint what triggered it. If they have pandas, a new infection can trigger it. It can really be so many different factors. But I think that a lot of times parents really blame themselves and they take these bumps so hard that they're not able to be the anchor for their kids. And I can tell you from my own personal experience. So with my first child, she had major eating issues as well as my second, which is kind of ironic in a weird sort of way. But every bump that she experienced, I felt just as hard as she did. And I racked my brain just as hard as the professionals that were helping her did because I just didn't know what to do. And I felt out of control and I felt like I am responsible. I can do something to fix this. And I got burnt out very quickly and very depressed and exhausted from the anxiety and the sensory processing and just this image of parenting that was not going the way that I had planned. Now, fast forward after three kids, the second one, 
has probably even more severe issues currently, but different, you know, so it's all relative. And my attitude is much more laid back because he's still getting all the help, if not more than the first. I also realize that this is his life path and it's, it's his journey and I'm just a passenger. So I'm going to bring him to all the right doctor's appointments and give him all the right medications if he's needing that. And I'm going to tell him all the right things. But when he goes through a bump, which actually we're kind of currently in, (laughs) I mean, like, okay, we'll go on this tangent for a second. You know, sleep was solid. I mean, super solid. So yes, he does have to take melatonin. So not 100% solid, but we were in a very good routine. Give him melatonin. Um, We have Lori Light for guided imagery. We have rainbow lights and star lights and aromatherapy. Everything in that room is going on to help him sleep. And it was a beautiful thing. And he was out within, I would say, 15, 20 minutes. And then, you know, as kids develop, they will get new worries because their brain expands. They learn more information. Maybe they were afraid of monsters and there was this period, but now they're afraid of bad guys and legitimate evil people coming in and hurting them. So developmentally, your kids will hit new, new barriers uh, to their anxiety. So all of a sudden, in the last, I would say, month, he's not going to bed. Melatonin's not working. Uh, Lori Light's not working. You know, he's screaming up there, Mom, I'm scared. And I'm having to come up and I'm having to rub his head and I'm having to ask him, what are your green thoughts? And I could easily turn that on myself and say, oh my gosh, you're such a failure. Like your therapist, please, you know, you call yourself an anxiety expert and your son can't even sleep. Like you need to get a grip and maybe, you know, stop doing these podcasts. (laughs) But I don't because even an expert or even someone who does this for a living it's still going to have a child who struggles with anxiety. I'm still going to have bad days. I'm going to still have kids who have anxiety and nothing I can do is going to fix that. And I'm at peace with that most of the days, (laughs) most of the time. I realize after having three kids, all with anxiety, that it's going to wax and wane. And over the long term, I'm going to give them the right tools. But there are going to be periods in this long road where we hit some pretty big bumps and we have to revisit those tools or give new tools. And that's not because I'm being a bad parent. It's because my child is suffering with anxiety and OCD. That's not my fault. That's not your fault. That is just physiologically what's happening. And there's going to be good weeks. There's going to be bad weeks. There's going to be good months. There's going to be bad months. There's going to be good years and there's going to be bad years, but I'm going to still progress and give them the tools. And when those tools fail, I will give them new tools. And even if those tools fail, they might come back and revisit the old tools. And it's not because I'm not giving it to them or I'm not giving it to them correctly. It's just because anxiety and OCD sucks. (laughs) That's just the reality of it. I'm sorry, but you need to hear that because you're not going to be in control all the time. And if you have your own anxiety, like I do, that's not going to sit well with you because you have to kind of accept this is kind of what's happening. And in the big picture, I am going to do everything I possibly can to help my child move through this, but ultimately they're going to have to do it themselves. 
Another thing that I hear often, I have one more thing to talk about, and then I want to move into self-care briefly, and then I will bid you adieu. But a lot of times we have 2020 vision when we look back. And so we might beat ourselves up about things that we did before we realized our children had anxiety or OCD. And I know I do this myself. So, and I, and I hear people tell me this all the time, you know, I, they'll listen to a podcast or YouTube video and they'll leave a comment and they'll say, Oh my gosh, Natasha, everything you said not to do, I've done. Well, join the club. Everything I say to do, I've done. (laughs) So what do you say about that? That's even scarier, right? We're human. We are going to mess up. You're not going to know your child's diagnoses until after the fact. And so you're going to have done and said things before you hear, oh, you know what? This is the way I should handle it. Luckily, kids are resilient and we all mess up and we all say things that we shouldn't. And to dwell on that or to get stuck on that is really not productive because kids will move on. And it's about now, not about what happened then. So I wouldn't spend a lot of time in the past. I would move and stay in the present and in the future and say, okay, how do I want to help my child now? I'll tell you two ways that I did that. (laughs) And then I'll talk about self-care. So this past summer, my daughter, who is a teenager, she just always didn't want to go out to eat with us. And I thought nothing of it. In fact, total guilt confession number 550. I was like, okay, well, that's one less mouth to pay for. You know, we'll save money. She doesn't want to come out. She's a teenager. Win-win. Less money. But over time, when she was not wanting to go out for ice cream and things that are fun, I realized, well, that's a little bit weird. And it took me all summer to realize that it was part of her social anxiety. Duh, right? (laughs) But when you're so close to a problem, I don't care who you are, you might have a hard time seeing it. So then I beat myself up for a little while and was like, oh my gosh, like I went through almost the entire summer, not making her do these things because I didn't realize it was anxiety based, but it is what it is. And she's fine now. So that's one example. Another one is with my son. He had an eating issue way before I noticed because my oldest had so many eating issues. I learned to get very relaxed and not really sweat the small stuff with eating because she had so many sensory issues and we had a feeding therapist. It just got ridiculous. So I was like, I'm not going to stress about eating at all. You know, my kids want to eat goldfish. And then my youngest went on like a shredded cheese fetish. Like she literally ate bowls of shredded cheese. That was like her main go-to food. I was like, she'll grow out of it. And she did. She's six now. She eats wonderfully. She eats normal foods. But my middle child didn't. And it wasn't happening. And it, I probably didn't notice the pattern for quite a long time. Until I was like, oh, wow, you know what? He only eats like four things ever. And so I was very slow to realize that there was an OCD thing. And he even would, he would voice questions like, you know, do you think that food is watching us from heaven? Or I think if I eat this, I'm going to feel really sick. And because I wasn't hearing that often, I didn't really piece those puzzle pieces together until we were in a pretty bad situation already. 
and I'm a professional, you know, I mean, this is, this is my world. This is what I do. This is what I teach. And I'm very close to the problem. So I'm not going to see it the way that maybe somebody would see it from the distance. And so I say that, and I, I tell you my own struggles so that you can say, oh, well, you know, I'm not a professional or maybe I am as well. And I miss some stuff with my kids too. It happens. It happens. None of us are perfect. It is what it is. And put the whip away because it's not helping anybody. Just focus on, okay, today, and I kind of like just focusing on today, today or this week, what can I do to be a good parent in general, not even just a good parent to a child with anxiety or OCD. What can I do to just be a good parent? And if I'm doing what I need to do and my kids aren't responding to it, then it's not me. It's my kids. And that's okay because kids are allowed to have rough weeks, to have rough behavior, to have a lot of anxiety and OCD because all we can do is our part. Now, self-care is important. I used to cringe at the name self-care just because I was so like not about myself and probably a little bit too selfless. And I think I still struggle with this because I want to save the world and save everybody in it. And I put myself last and that's not a good way to be. And I think parentally we do that and it's, it's good to not be a selfish mom. And I think that I struggle with that because when I was growing up, I felt like maybe my parents didn't put me first or second or third or fourth. So sometimes I tend to go and swing in the opposite direction, but that's not good either. You have to take care of yourself. It's kind of like that dumb analogy. You know, when you're in a plane, they tell you to put the oxygen on your face first for a reason, because if you are passed out on the floor, you're not going to be any good for your child. So put the oxygen on your face and then take care of your child. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of your kids. And I always say raising a child with anxiety or OCD is a marathon, not a sprint. And so they're not going to get better really quickly and you have to pace yourself. And so you want to celebrate those small victories. You want to take some time for yourself. And if you have to carve out some time, no matter what, it's important because you're going to have late nights where your child can't sleep. You're going to have frustrating meals where your child won't eat. You're going to have middle of the day phone calls from school saying your child can't function and you need to pick them up. I mean, hopefully you're not getting all of those in one day, (laughs) but you might because that's the world of anxiety. And with OCD, your child might be asking you a million questions from morning to night. And they're, they're the same reassurance questions over and over. Mom, I had a bad thought. You know, I thought I was going to hurt you, but I don't want to hurt you. Or mom, you know, my hand touched the Clorox wipe and then I touched my mouth. Am I going to die? Or is that poisonous? Or mom, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's relentless and it's nonstop and you need to refuel in order to handle that in the most effective way. And not in the way of, I will answer every, you know, obsessive question that you have, because that's not good. And if you don't believe me, you should check out my podcast on moral OCD or check out my podcast on reassurance and why that's not good for kids with anxiety and OCD, because those are really important. But I, I am one to have never carved out any time for myself. I was always either working or parenting or wifing. (laughs) Can you wife? Yeah, you can. Cause I'm like making dinners and I'm cleaning the house and I'm picking the kids up and I'm helping them with their homework. And 
I'm driving them here and I'm driving them there. And if I'm not doing any of that, then I'm in my office and I am providing direct care in my therapy sessions. And then I'm driving home. And if I'm home, I'm either helping my kids or I am on my website or I'm on Facebook in my private Facebook group, or I'm responding to an email. So, which by the way, I'm not doing anymore. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good thing to bring up for self-care. So my podcast has gotten, is getting pretty popular, which is amazing. And I'm not going to complain about that. And my YouTube channel is a little bit slower to go, but it is starting to get some traction. My website has always been very popular. And I was getting bombarded from all different angles. People were messaging me through Facebook and and they were emailing me and they were emailing me through my practice and they were emailing me through my website and it was very overwhelming. And so I finally had to stop because I was spending literally hours a day responding to the emails, giving people private suggestions. People would say, you know, Natasha, I'm having this problem with my child. And and they would write a very long email and they'd say, what should I do? And this is, this is part of my personality flaw is I want to answer everybody. I want to help everybody. So I would sit there and I would write a very long email back. Hey, this is, you know, you can watch this podcast or you can check out this YouTube video. And then this is what I would say to your daughter. And then you can say this, and I hope that helps. And I've come to realize as I realize, wow, I'm spending like three to four hours a day just writing these emails or responding to uh, Facebook Messenger, instant messages, or all these different ways that people can contact me. And I'm not being able to one, take care of my kids. I'm not one being able to take care of myself. And even though I love that people are reaching out and they're appreciating my work, the self-care wasn't there and it wasn't fair to my kids. So I am no longer responding to emails. So if you do have this desire to email me, please don't. <laughs> I love you and I want to help. And, uh, but I have to set some, some firm boundaries for myself. So anyone who is instant messaging me or emailing me, I have an automated response and I'm not going to be responding to individual requests. I encourage everybody to join my private Facebook group. It is an amazing group of people. And I am in there often. I don't always, you know, provide my direct input. I make sure that things are getting answered, but it's AT Parenting Kids with Anxiety and OCD. I always leave a link in the show notes. Join that. And that is, that is a great way to get support, to get guidance. And I do monitor it as best as I can. Like I said, I won't always be the one to respond to your threads, but there are over 1,800 parents in there who have a wealth of knowledge and you will get the answers that you need through them for sure. And maybe through me, you never know, but I am trying to set limits. So do that for yourself. What can you cut out? What can you set limits for? Are you a yes person as well? Do you let people use you? And I'm not saying that you guys are using me, but you know, I think that sometimes if you're an anxious parent and you have an anxious child, Um, or you have OCD yourself, I'm very obsessive in the sense that I need to respond to everyone and everything. And I, I realize now I can't be that way. It's not healthy. And there are maybe some things that you need to cut out so that you have more time to do for yourself. A couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make my patio really nice. And I'm gonna go and I'm gonna sit outside. I live in Arizona, so it's getting cooler and it's beautiful right now. It's horrible in the summer, but it's beautiful now. And so I said to myself, 
buy some really nice patio furniture and make it a habit to sit outside for 10 minutes a day by yourself and just regroup, listen to the silence and regroup. And what can you do for yourself? It doesn't have to be a time investment, but you need to regroup so that you can handle your child with anxiety or OCD because otherwise you're going to get drained. And if you get drained, your immune system is going to go down. You're going to get sick or you're just going to be agitated and frustrated. And you're also going to feel really resentful that your child is sucking you dry and you're not going to be in a a good space to help them because you're going to feel resentful. And frankly, that's okay. It's understandable, but there is a way to circumvent that. And that is to recharge in whatever way you need to. So for me, it's starting to set boundaries It's to say, you know what? I'm about to drown here. And it's, it's something that I created myself and this is kind of my fault, but I need to make myself less accessible to the general public so that I can be available to my family. And you need to find out what that is for you. For me, it's doing that and sitting on the patio. (laughs) I'm a simple girl with simple requirements. So ask yourself that and figure it out. So I hope that this podcast helped you maybe take a little bit of that guilt off. I know we all have it, but shake some of it off so that you can be an awesome parent to your child and an awesome person to yourself. I always tell my kids, if you are not your own best friend, then nobody else is going to want to be friends with you either because being a best friend starts with yourself. Cheesy, I know, but true. And so I'm saying that to you. If you can't take care of yourself, good luck taking care of everybody else. And if you want to beat yourself up, then you're not going to be there for your kids. I hope that you have a wonderful week. If you are not subscribed to my podcast, please do so because you don't want to miss these and that way it will automatically pop up. If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, please do that as well. I make separate topics and they're normally short and I'm trying recently to be a little bit more entertaining and funny. So I don't know about that one. But go over there at, um, you can go to youtube.com backslash C backslash anxious toddlers 78. And if you want to see all my stuff, go to my website. I changed the name from anxious toddlers.com to anxious toddlers to teens.com because it's always been about all ages. But you know, if you've ever listened to any of my podcasts, I hate anxious toddlers.com because I see everybody. So go visit my website. And I would love for you to leave some feedback for my podcast. You can just click a star and that's a very simple two second thing to give back and let people know the rating that you give for my podcast. If you have an extra second, you can leave a comment and that is wonderful because it helps other parents decide, Hey, do I want to give my time to this podcast? Is it worth the the commitment? So I appreciate anybody and everybody who has left their comments. I've gotten lots of great reviews. And if you haven't left your review yet, if you could take the time to do it, I give you a big thank you. I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.